0: Scripture reading today comes from Proverbs 12th chapter and the 5th verse. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. I'd like to add one group of people to our prayer list, if we may. It's, uh, to me, always conspicuous when we come into the auditorium and our university students are no longer here. Uh, they had their finals this past week. To the best of my knowledge, everyone survived. I did not hear of any casualties. And then they, most of them, at least, have gone home to be with their families during the holiday season. And so let's pray for their safe return, because we sure want them back with us. We're glad you're here this morning appreciate so very much our visitors who are our honored guests, and we hope that you'll come back and be with us again soon, specifically 5 o'clock this afternoon. But <laughs> well, right now, we're glad you're here. Incredibly, there is only three Sundays left in this year, including uh, today. And as I was thinking over the last few weeks uh, of our, our theme of focusing on one another, I thought I I sure want to speak one more time before the the year is out on that subject and what would be a worthy uh, thought for us to develop in, in a lesson and what would be a worthy theme for us to be thinking about as this old year winds down and a new year begins. Unless, of course, the Lord comes back and then we won't be doing any of this, but that will be fine too. And I thought there's probably nothing better that we could talk about than the subject of encouraging one another. Because I really feel like this is a gift. It's an ability and a talent that we ought to be developing and cultivating and exercising more in the kingdom of Christ. And so uh, I, I know that the particular passage that we're going to be looking at from the Old Testament this morning, we, we've looked at before, but it's been 10 years ago. And so I hope that's not too soon for us to go back and revisit this passage. But it's a tremendous thought to think about the power of our words and more specifically to think about how that our words can lift one another up and it can cause people to, 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 to be removed from the depths of despair and to get their feet set back on the right path again and, and to encourage and incentivize them to, to live the way that God would have us to live. I know we're all familiar with the well-worn Mark Twain quote about I can live for two months on one good compliment. And we all understand what, and we know intimately and personally what he meant by that, because we know what it means to have someone say something either nice to or about us. And by the way, let me parenthetically add, sometimes the best compliment that we can pay someone is a second-hand compliment. That is, you say something nice about someone else to a third party, and then it gets back around to that first person that here's what someone said about you that was nice and complimentary. And, and, and then when that happens, you know, you know that that compliment was absolutely sincere. Not like when my kids were growing up, one of them would come in the room where I was and say, hey, greatest dad in the universe. And my first reaction was, yeah, what do you want? You know, uh, when it's sincere, we know it's sincere. And, and, and the Bible tells us that. In the passage that Alex read a moment ago, I want us to look at it one more time. Proverbs 12 and verse 25, the wise man said, anxiety in the heart of a man weighs it down. And as he noted in the New King James Version, it literally reads, causes depression, but then a good word makes it glad. And and we may not know everything there is to know and understand everything there is to understand about every Bible passage, but I believe we all understand that one. We know what it means to be depressed. We know what it means to have someone to say something that will lift us up. This principle, is, I know, is true of people in general, and I hope that we understand that God's people are not an exception. Just because that we're trying to live our lives the way God would have us to live does not mean that we don't ever need encouragement. I think it's because we are living the greatest life that a person can live on this sin-cursed earth that it requires perhaps even more encouraging words. We need one another all the more in the kingdom of Christ so that we can kind of, with that foxhole mentality, so that we not only can survive but we can thrive in living the Christian life. Now, that's not to say that there's never a time to reprove or rebuke or correct because the Bible says there is a time for that when that time is right. But my observation and experience has been when God's people are rebuked all the time, they tend to lose heart and they become discouraged. And so we need to be careful, especially those of us who occupy pulpits, that we're not always rebuking and correcting our people, that we also spend some time in encouraging them And helping them to have the kind of hearts filled with fortitude that will allow them to live the Christian life victoriously. Remember that principle back in the Old Testament in Joshua chapter 14, I believe it is, in verse 8. As Caleb is recounting the experience that the 12 spies had as they went into that foray into the land of Canaan. God had told them to go in, spy out the land, come back, and to bring their report about what they saw there. This was, I'll remind you, the land that flows with milk and honey. But it was occupied, and it was occupied by strong people who were an enemy of the Israelite people. And so they're going to have to drive these people out. The ten spies came back with an evil report. In Joshua 14, verse 8, He said, when those 10 faithless spies gave their report, and I'm quoting now, the Bible says they caused the heart of the people to melt. That's abject discouragement. That's telling them what they don't need to hear. But then we know and remember the names of Joshua and Caleb because these men came back with a good report, which basically said, God said we can take the land. What are we waiting for? Let us go up and conquer it, for we are well able to overcome were the words of Caleb. Consequently, I've always had a soft spot in my heart for that New Testament man that we know of as Barnabas. He was known as the son of encouragement. I think about that. I think about the particulars of Barnabas's ministry and also his personality that would cause him to be known in Scripture, in God's holy word, as the son of encouragement. And my first reaction when I think about that is, I could... I could hear one of Barnabas' sermons from time to time. How about you? I I could stand to get a phone call or a note or an email or a tweet or whatever from, from someone like Barnabas. And it's good to know that in the kingdom of Christ, we can have just that kind of people. There's times when I have a conversation with, with Mia about my appreciation and admiration for this good church. And I'll reference a particular individual and I'll say, that's, that's a Barnabas right there. That's a, someone who's always encouraging and always building us up. And what a great epitaph that is to have descriptive of anyone. Remember, this is a very scriptural concept. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 14, it teaches us to encourage the faint-hearted, to help the weak, and to be patient with them all. You may also remember that over in the Roman, Romans, the 12th chapter, that one of the seven talents or abilities that's cataloged in those verses is the gift of exhortation or the gift of encouragement, which brings us then to the Old Testament. If you've got your Old Testament in front of you, turn to 2 Chronicles for just a moment. And I want to look at a passage in chapter 30. 2 Chronicles chapter 30. Buried among the records of the kings of Israel and of Judah, in that book of 2 Chronicles is a single sentence of striking beauty and brevity. And specifically, it's verse 22. 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 22. The New King James Version reads like this, And Hezekiah gave encouragement to all the Levites. The New American Standard Bible reads, Then Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites. You know, when I think about that passage and I think about its contemporary application and how very important what Hezekiah was doing to the people of God in that time and how that that gift needs to be discovered, developed, and deployed in the kingdom of Christ today, I think how wonderful it is and how powerful it is that someone like Hezekiah in a position of power is willing to speak words of encouragement in a world that's so often filled with disappointment and, and dis- discouragement, what a, that statement really stands out to me. Consider with me three implications of what this text communicates to us in our modern world. In the first place, the text says Hezekiah spoke. Now that's not profound nor deeply insightful because that's not uncommon. After all, you remember that Hezekiah was king and that's what kings do. He was accustomed to... To speaking there were times when the entire people would be gathered before him as a congregation and he would give enact some law or say something that they needed to hear for the benefit of the entire nation in fact you may remember that in those days in particular the word of a king spoken became law all he had to do was to pass down some edict or regulation and I you know I imagine it was kind of like Moses in the Ten Commandments where he could say, so let it be written, so let it be done. And guess what? It was law. All he had to do was just speak the word, and it became law. As king, he was surrounded by subjects and by servants whose business it was to give heed, and sometimes anxious heed, to his ever-spoken word. There were scribes who would write down everything that the king said. So when we get to the passage that says that Hezekiah spoke, we go, well, I'm not surprised. That's what he does. That's his job description. After all, he was king, and people undoubtedly listened with rapt attention to what Hezekiah had to say. His words literally held the power of life or death. I'm kind of reminded of King Xerxes in that great Old Testament book of Esther. And background study indicates that Xerxes, Ahazirus was the other name that he was known by, had the power as king... To lean his scepter in one direction or the other, and in doing so, could condemn a person to death. That's the kind of power that a king had in those days. I'm telling you this morning, we may not be kings, but our words have immense power as well. And I hope that when you go home today, you'll think about that one statement, if you forget everything else we've said. Our words have tremendous power, and we can use them for good or bad. We can use them to wreck. We can use them to heal. And that's why James said in James 1 in verse 19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. James is telling us something in a very practical way that we all need to know. And that is when we use our words, use them judiciously. Make sure that you've thought about them hesitate before you allow those words to come off your lips because it could wreck someone's life or on the positive side it could restore the faith of that person our words are powerful solomon said in proverbs 25 one of the favorite passages i have an entire lesson on it and you don't have to worry you're not getting it this morning but solomon there said a word fitly spoken one version says, appropriately spoken is like apples of gold in baskets of silver. They had a custom in those days that would have given us some insight as to his observation. But he's saying, that's, that's how valuable our words are. That's how precious they are. More precious, think about the cost of gold, whatever the cost is per ounce nowadays. The last time I checked, it was staggering. But you think about having apples, entire apple sizes of gold in a basket of silver, the monetary power of that, Solomon said your words are even more powerful. They're even more precious. They're more to be treasured. They're more to be used in a, in a way that we know can point someone's life in a positive direction. And then the second thing that the text says is that not only Hezekiah spoke, but that he spoke encouragement. I can't help but think down across the annals of human history of how different that has been for many kings, And leaders. You think of the Saddam Husseins, the Benito Mussolinis, the Osama bin Ladens, the Adolf Hitlers of the world, and you think how they used their words in destructive ways, ways in which lives were ruined, and in some cases lives were taken, millions of lives were extinguished by the power of one man's words. They were known to speak harshly, brutally, menacingly, but hardly ever were they known to speak encouragement. And so when we turn to a passage and it says, and Hezekiah gave encouragement, it ought to make us sit up and take notice. i remind you of something that we've already mentioned in this lesson. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12 that one of the gifts that exists in the church is the gift of encouragement and, and how we need people who are willing to develop that gift in the church of our Lord. In fact, this is just my opinion. I note it as such. But of all the seven abilities or talents that Paul mentions in Romans 12, 6 through 8, If someone were to ask me, in my opinion, which one of those is the most valuable and the most needed in the church in 2018, I would have to say the gift of encouragement. How we need that. When we see casualties that are littering the battlefield of life because people have grown discouraged and they no longer are walking the Christian path. One thing that would help prevent that, it's not a guarantee, but one thing that would help prevent those kinds of spiritual casualties... Would be a word of encouragement. Knowing and understanding that someone cares. And that someone is interested in our spiritual welfare. About the direction of our lives. And that they're willing to actually say something that would help to encourage. Mark it down. No matter how mature and how spiritually secure a person is. As a member of the kingdom of Christ. There are times when every one of us needs to hear an encouraging word. To lift our spirits And to get us back on our feet. Hezekiah, by the way, seems to have made a habit of that. If you've still got your Bible open to 2 Chronicles, flip over a page and look with me at uh, chapter 32. I want to read verse 6 and a part of verse 7. He, still talking about Hezekiah, set military captains over the people, gathered them together to him in the open square of the city gate. Now watch this. And gave them encouragement saying, Be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, nor dismayed. I don't know about you. I'd follow a king like that into battle. Someone who would get to his troops in the city square and encourage them. Not regale them, criticize them, tear them down, but to encourage them and say, What we're doing is a good thing. I would go to my death fighting for a person like that. And Hezekiah was that kind of king. We think about how powerful that is. What a great habit that is. And and it's, I think, significant that we see that pattern repeated in Hezekiah's existence and his reign as king. There's a third thing I want us to notice, though, about this this text this morning from 2 Chronicles 30. It not only says that Hezekiah spoke, that Hezekiah spoke encouragement, but the last part of that phrase is he spoke encouragement... To the Levites, Those of you who are Bible students know that the Levites were the priestly tribe. We know that the Levites were the ones who dedicated their very lives to doing the work of the Lord. They were the ones who went to the temple, who exercised their priestly duties, who offered sacrifices on behalf of the people. These are people who lived their lives with the spiritual welfare of other people uppermost in mind. And when Ezekiah spoke his words of encouragement, it wasn't just to the general populace, it was to the Levites. And the fact that that is noted in scripture is not accidental, it is not coincidental. It's important that we notice that Hezekiah spoke encouragement to those who are doing the work of the Lord. I think we can take immediately that passage and that principle and apply it to our own circumstances. Here's a news flash, and I hate to turn this negative, but we have to in order to make proper application of this passage. Sometimes there is no more discouraging business in the world than the Lord's business. God's people get discouraged. And sometimes it's not in spite of the fact that we're a citizen of the kingdom of Christ. It is because we're citizens of the Lord's army that we grow discouraged. Leaders in the church are so frequently subjected to abuse and to criticism and opposition, oftentimes by their own people. The last figures that I read were that we're losing 600 preachers from our pulpits and churches of Christ every year. And if you were to ask those men what is the predominant number one reason why you're leaving the ministry never to return, it's discouragement. We need to understand that. And we need to make some kind of reparation for that. As the old saying goes, enough digs make a grave, and we're burying some of the finest and some of the most dedicated persons among us. I remember speaking to a fellow preacher one time who was, had been preaching only about three or four years And as best I can recall, I'm trying to recount for you verbatim what he told me in a phone conversation that day. But it went something like this. He said, I expected to get conflict in my ministry to come from the world, and I was ready for that. My greatest discouragement has been that the opposition has come from my own brethren. End quote. Well, guess what? He's not the Lone Ranger. Sadly, that sentiment could be echoed by a lot of preachers and the brotherhood. For some going to church services, it's like walking onto a battlefield. It's very difficult for them to live like that and to maintain their faith and their continuity and consistency in ministry to the cause of Christ. Some, some began to feel like the old fellow who said, if I knew where to t- turn in my preacher's license, I would. And so when, when we read that Hezekiah spoke encouragement to the people who are doing the work of the Lord, we immediately can see the application. But folks, let me tell you, lest you think that I'm trying to get you to feel sorry for me and for all my preaching brethren, that's not the point. In fact, we're not just talking about preachers here. I think that the primary application in our modern world of this passage would be, it is no accident that divine writ says this about the work of elders. Hebrews 13 and verse 17 says about those spiritual shepherds among us. Obey those who rule over you. Now, I remind you, this is written by inspiration. This is the mind of God we're reading here. Obey those that rule over you and be submissive. Why should we do that? Because they watch out for your souls. Here are men who have the awesome responsibility of watching for the the souls of the sheep within their spiritual flock. As those, he says, who must give an account. That's the only place in scripture that I know of where one person is going to be called into account for someone else in judgment. But elders, shepherds among us will be. They give an account for our souls. And then he goes on to say, and this just makes perfect sense to me, let them do it with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. All that the writer there is helping us to understand is this clear message. It should not be a burden and a sorrow to lead God's people. Elders should be encouraged and not discouraged in their exercising of the oversight that God has placed upon their broad shoulders to lead God's people in the direction that they go. I've preached on leadership enough here that you know what I think about that and my firm convictions about that. Congregation is but the length and the shadow of its leadership. A church will never rise above the spiritual level of its leadership. That's why these men need our encouragement and not our discouragement. And that's why Hebrews 3.13, I think, applies to every single one of us. And so encourage one another daily while it is yet today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The writer there is telling us over and over in virtually every chapter of that great book of Hebrews, we need to be encouraging one another. We need to be building one another up. We need to be saying nice things about one another. We need to be talking to our brothers and sisters in Christ and not about them. We need to let what we do say render grace unto those who hear that it may edify them. It's what Ephesians 4 and verse 29 says. Paul wants us to know that every time a Christian opens his or her mouth, it ought to be to say something that will cause someone to be built up, not torn down. To call someone to be encouraged, not discouraged. To call someone to want to walk the pathway of Jesus, not to turn their back on him and say, I don't want to see another church building for the rest of my life. Here's a passage from the Old Testament that says so succinctly but so powerfully, Hezekiah spoke encouragement to the Levites. And folks, that is surely worth saying about anybody. Especially those of us in the church who serve the greatest cause on earth. In fact, that would not be a bad epitaph to have carved on your tombstone, would it? This person spoke encouragement to all of God's people. I like the story, and I end with this, of a, a little boy named Jamie who was trying out for a part in the school of play. His mother knew that he had his heart set on being in the play, and yet she wasn't very uh, positive about the results of the auditions. She feared that he would not be chosen for a part because he was, how can I say this diplomatically, theatrically challenged. And so on the day that the parts were awarded, she made it a point of being at the school door when school let out so that she could be there in person to hopefully lessen the blow to his ego when he did not get a part in the school play the school doors opened at the end of the school session the kids began to pour out by the hundreds and eventually along came Jamie he rushed up to his mother his eyes were shining with pride and excitement and he burst out with a happy announcement I've been chosen to clap and cheer that seems like such an insignificant role doesn't it but if we understand scripture it's the most important role that we could ever play I'm here to announce to you this morning that not all of us will be on center stage in the drama of life, but I can mark it down as absolutely true. We can be clapping and cheering on those who are. You may never get your name in a church bulletin, but that doesn't matter as long as you're making headlines in heaven. As long as we're doing something to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ, we can look back at our life with no regrets. The Bible, it would be a good topical study for anybody to go through Old and New Testament and, and pick out the encouragers like Barnabas and like Hezekiah. And the Bible is replete with them. The Bible is just full of encouragers. Let me give you one more quick biblical example of that. There's a man by the name of Onesiphorus. I'm not making that up. That's what they call their babies in those days. <laughs> he looks like an Onesiphorus to me. And here's what Paul wrote about him. In one of his letters, and this is so brief but so powerful, packed with so much power, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. And here's what Paul says from a personal perspective, although it is written by inspiration to guarantee its correctness. For he has often refreshed me. Now, the spiritual mind immediately knows that Paul is not talking about a tall, cold drink of lemonade there. In refreshment, he's talking about spiritual refreshment. He's talking about emotional refreshment. And Paul says, let me chronicle this in the word of God. Grant mercy to the household, to the family of Onesiphorus, because he has often encouraged me. He has refreshed my soul. And we ought to be cheering one another on as we live our lives out in service to Christ. Amen? We can't do without it. Criticizers are a dime a dozen. Encouragers. Are priceless. Theodore Roosevelt wrote back in 1910, it's not the critic who counts, or the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or how the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best in the end knows the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place will never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither triumph nor defeat. Here's what the Bible says. By the inspiration of God, Galatians 6, verse 9, I leave this passage with you, and I hope that this will stay in your hearts. Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Or in the words of Winston Churchill in one of his most famous speeches, young men never, ever Ever, ever give up. I have long maintained that some will be lost in eternity, not because they did not do good in their lives, but because they did not do it long enough. Hang in there. Keep on living the Christian life. Keep on living it dynamically and victoriously and claim the promises and blessings of God every day and every moment of your life. And if you're not a child of God who is not a recipient of those promises and those blessings, you can be before this day is over. The Bible teaches from the day of Pentecost forward that our faith should move us to repent of all of our past sins and commit ourselves to living a life that Jesus would have us to live, confess his sweet name as the Son of God, and then be buried in water where we contact his blood to wash all of our sins away. If that's what you need this morning, we bid you come while we stand, while we sing.